The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Right now, I have 2,026 unread emails in my inbox. And you know what? I'm totally fine with that. We're talking about learning to live with and love your email. This is Game Plan. Hi, I'm Rebecca Greenfield. And I'm Francesca Levy. And this week, we are talking about everyone's favorite thing to hate. Email. Email. Yeah, so everybody really hates on email. Ugh, email's the worst. I get so many of them. I'm yeah, so important. so busy and important. But yeah, there's a lot of articles talking about how email's the cockroach of the internet, and it's so distracting, and I, I mean, I can see why. I mean, I just mentioned that I have over 2,000 unread emails in my work email. Yeah, but you seem to be able to live with it. Yeah, I actually love email. <laughs> My Gmail inbox is very different than my Bloomberg inbox. My Gmail inbox has no unread emails. Wow, that's yeah. impressive. Yeah, I think I have several thousand unread emails yeah. in my, in my I Gmail. I feel like we're actually opposites because you have no unreads in your Bloomberg, right? I'm working on that for my Bloomberg, <laughs> yeah. Well, my issue with email is that um, I get so many emails that are not for me specifically. I'm just, they're either spam emails yeah, or I'm copied on them along with 10 other people and I don't need to respond to them, that it fills up my inbox so quickly that I miss important emails. So oh. I've since I came back from maternity leave, I made a resolution to try and delete all of my unimportant emails every day. Well, so I think this is one reason that email is so loved and hated and loved to be hated is because it gives us so much anxiety. Like we, It takes up a lot yes. of brain space. So people feel the need to either be like an inbox zero person, right. which we can talk about, or yeah. okay, and I'm not even going to think about all these emails in my inbox person. I guess I'm both of those people. Yeah, let's let's talk about inbox zero. Do you want to explain what it is? Yeah, so for people know? who don't know, it's this way of life. <laughs> where, people are religious about it. Yeah, where you have, I'm not sure, is it either no emails at all in your inbox or no unread emails. I think it's no unread emails, but yeah. maybe like a purist would Yeah, think I think there might be a purist version of it where it's like no emails at all. And if there's an email that needs to be saved, it goes into a folder. Yeah. And I relate to this because if I have an unread email in my Gmail, it will gnaw at me because it's telling me I need to do something. Right. I, I use it in that way. And I think that's how inbox zero people use it. But right. you have a mazillion. Well, my feeling about inbox zero has changed a little bit. It used to be, I used to think it was the biggest waste of time and it was this kind of artificial sense of superiority or accomplishment that you got from deleting all these emails when actually you were investing all of this time in deleting emails. And if you could just learn to be okay with having unread emails in your inbox, then your life would be exactly the same and you wouldn't have an empty inbox. Yeah, but then I, I, I wish I didn't have these pathologies, but you yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of people do. And then I, I still I eventually I had to come to grips with the whole like missing an email from my boss because it was buried under like six hundred, you know, spam email from 
emails from PR people or notes from the facility staff on like the bathroom downstairs being closed. And so as soon as I started doing that, um, actually, it became a lot more like a to do list. Like now I know if I have an email in there that something needs to be done about it. And most of the time, it's just to to delete it. But if it's if it's sitting there for longer than a few hours, that means like requires some kind of action. Welcome to the fold. Yeah. Although I'm not like that with Bloomberg. But but email is also so hated that some people have tried to get rid of it in their lives. There are offices that tell their internal staff they cannot use email to communicate. Wow. So what's the alternative? So they use something like Slack or right. HipChat or, chat at, a chat or like a whatever social network that your company is on. And I think it does cut down on emails. And I think that's happening organically at a lot of companies. But I don't see how you can avoid email communication altogether if you have any sort of role where you communicate with people outside of your office. Right. And as we've talked about in other episodes, those alternatives can get cluttered up and start taking up your time, too. Right. You can spend too much time sending and receiving messages on a chat platform. So, yeah, on top of having all these notifications now from your chat app, it really doesn't get rid of email altogether in most offices. So I think instead of trying to get rid of something that is never going to go away, we need to embrace it and learn to live with it. And maybe even if you're like me one day, you'll love it. Wow. And to tell us how to get to that point, our guest today is a behavioral economist at Duke. His name is Dan Ariely. He wrote a book called Payoff. The hidden logic that shapes our motivations, and he's going to teach us how to trick ourselves into loving email. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. So, Dan, you have an elaborate approach to email, and I would love to just start by talking about what happened when I emailed you to talk about coming on this show <laughs> um, to give to give our listeners a sense of how much work and how much thought you've put into your own email strategy. So I okay, emailed do you. Want, do you want to tell people to sit down and kind of take a drink of something? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sit down and get comfortable. <laughs> so I emailed you to see if you would be interested in coming on the show to talk to us. And what I got back was a, a long and very detailed um, automatic response. And it had a list of frequently asked questions that I assume was to head off the questions you get from a lot of people that can be answered really easily. And then it had another list of, of contacts that... Wait, you, wait, before, before you do this, did you, did you look at any of the frequently asked questions? I didn't. I assumed it wasn't... I assumed none of my uh, issues would be addressed. So, so here's what I recommend that you do. At some point, go back to those okay. and look at the last two. Uh, the last two are a general positive response or a general negative response. So I ask people, if you just want me to say, yes, you're right, you're smart, and so on, click <laughs> here, and you get the YouTube of me agreeing with you. <laughs> and if you want me to disagree with you, there's another link to another YouTube where I tell you it's a stupid idea and you should never uh, do that. But, but there's, some, there's some real answers there as well. I love that. It's the most entertaining uh, automatic email response that I think I've ever received. But, but yeah, it assumes people read automatic email responses. Well, I did. I mean, as soon as I saw it, I saw that there was enough there that I was probably going to have to do a little more work than just emailing you and forgetting about it. So I saw that if you had an interview request, for example, you should email your publicist. And I, I did that. And here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about this? What led to you developing that response and, you know, like how you got there? Yeah. So first of all, you know, I, I, I do uh, apologize because it's kind of an arrogant thing to do. 
right? Uh, people email each other, and all of a sudden I say, hey, you know, I know you emailed me, but, you know, here's a whole list of demands and things <laughs> I want you to do uh, to email me, and, and there's some, something very arrogant about it. And I've been holding off for a while trying not to do that. But um, the sad thing is that I get about 300 emails a day, and it's just very hard to to manage. And, you know, there's, there's like a level of personal stress, you know, waking up in the morning and seeing, you know, a hundred and some emails just waiting. Yeah. Sometimes I wake up an hour early just to do email. And an hour later, when I just finished, I have more email than when I started. So, so partially, I think that when people send an email, uh, we, we're not really good at conveying our intentions. Like, what exactly do you want? What, what, how, how you do it? What is this email about? Are you asking a question? Do you want something? So, so emails are often long and, and hard to understand what people exactly know. I, I need mm-hmm. to read the long email and say, what, what do they actually want from me at the end of this, of this email? Um, so, so part of it is just the inability to, to cope and the stress that comes with it. So, so I have this outgoing message, and then I try to direct people to different things. So first of all, I say, if you want to, me to give a talk, my schedule is online. Um, you can look every day of the year where I'm at, and you can see by yourself if I'm busy or not. Um, and then if you, if, you want to, if you still want to write me after all of this, uh, please go to this uh, website. And I got somebody to write me a program that is called Short Whale. That's the, the term we, we gave it. And in that uh, system, I asked people to write me uh, but by first answering a few questions. So I asked people to tell me, uh, what is this about? Is this a request for a talk, an interview, advice, uh, just to chat, uh, exchange information? Uh, there are different options. And then I asked people to tell me when they want an answer by. Do you want like to, for me to drop everything and answer immediately? end of the day, end of the week, end of the month, or no response necessary. And, and then I say, okay, now tell me what the question is. And, and this has actually been incredibly useful. So let me ask you to kind of guess. From all the people who write me through this system, what percentage of the emails do you think have the title, um, drop everything and answer me immediately? I would think a very low percentage. Or maybe it's a lot of people because, I don't know, I think I'm important. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you are important, but, but you know, what, what do you think is the percent? Give me numbers. Uh, I don't know. I would say maybe 10%. Becca? I have to go high now, so 35 Okay, so it's 2%. Wow. Right. So, so first of People all, nice. you know, maybe two, even maybe even two percent is too high. But, but it is amazing, right? When you give people a chance to stop and reflect and say, should the person, the, the moment you send somebody an email to somebody, it does beep, right? right? And they do to some degree, even for a few seconds, stop everything and look at at what you've asked them. And I give people per, the you know the request to tell me like what's the time scale, and very very few people say, drop everything and answer me now. And that's a wonderful thing because I have my, my uh, email set up so that if people say that, my email pings and I'm notified immediately. If it's not, it goes to a different inbox. What I love about that is that that 2% figure is probably a lot lower than as the email <laughs> receiver. That's like you probably have a higher percentage of emails that you would personally think were drop everything and respond now email. So if you were making the decision, you might like... <laughs> think it was a higher percentage. Yeah. And, and, but, you know, so, so 2% of the people say, please answer me very quickly. And I, and I try. But the rest of them, they go into folder that says, 
end of the day, end of the week, end of the month, and, and I deal with those in time. And everybody gets to benefit. I don't get my, I don't get my email, my work interrupted 300 times a day, right? For every, usually for every email you get, you get a notification. This way I get a notification only for the things that need immediately, immediate uh, response. And then another question is, what percentage of the email you think have the title no response necessary, the classification, no response necessary? I would Probably think low. Yeah, I would think I would that one would have to be email you, right? Because it's so much work. If you're forced <laughs> to think about it and you realize there's no response necessary, maybe that's when you just back off and don't send the email at all. It's more than forty percent. It's about forty-seven percent. What? Why bother? No, yeah, what no, kind of emails are those? I don't think you're right in the why bother. Right? If somebody says, you know, thank you. Mm, I, right. I, I want you to know I, I read this book, I thought about this, or somebody says, here is a, an article that I think you might be interested in reading. So we wrote this little program called uh, Filter, and we asked people to check it out. And, and this uh, program goes into your email and basically uh, takes 40 um, of, your, of your last emails and say, when would you want to see this uh, email? And we did it a couple of ways. The way that filter works is by the name of the person, right? The email that comes from this person, when do you want to see it? But we also did it in another way through uh, a different approach. And we sampled 40 emails from people. We went to a company, a big, a big tech company. For each person, we took 40 of the emails they sent and 40 of the emails that they received. And we said, for those emails, which one of those? Like, we went one by one, and we said, for each one of those, is this email you wanted to know immediately when you got it, within the hour, two hour, four hour, the end of the day, end of the week, or never wanted to know about it? And we did it for both things that people sent out and for the things that they received. And unsurprisingly, you know, people, things that people send out, they think are more important than the things that they receive. Okay, that's fine. But the percentage of things that people said they wanted to never know about was was between 40 and 50%. That's because we have so much email running around that you put, you, you, you add people just in case they might want to, to know one day. You want it to be in their archive. So if they want to, to get it one day, they'll have it there. But you certainly don't want people to be disturbed in the middle of the workday to basically be notified that they are, you know, the eighth person BCC'd on some right. email about a new procedure that is happening in the company. Right. You want to be able to say you sent it to them. You want to say, and then at some point they search for it, you want them to have access to it. Right. It's but, like a reference the idea, material. The idea that this something needs to uh, beep and interrupt somebody's day multiple times, it is kind of shocking. Um, and, you know, we, took, we take lots of different types of communications, and we call them email. Like when things come to your house in the mail, at least you see regular envelopes and postcards and you see junk mail and you see catalogs and they look very different and you know how to approach them differently, right? You never start by opening the ones that are, you start by the personal letters and the rest of them, you, probably, you kind of know immediately that there's nothing in a hurry about this. But on email, we treat everything as if we're in a hurry. Right. And Gmail has made an attempt to try its hand at sorting these emails into most important and less important, right? They have, but, but here's the thing. There's a huge difference between important and urgent. And this is no disrespect to my mother, but, but everything my mother writes me is important. Nothing has yet been urgent. <laughs> and, and I think that what, what we need to do is we need to think both about importance and urgency. You're, you're a behavioral economist, are you using behavioral economics when developing these apps and websites and theories? 
Yeah. So partially, you know, this question about how do we frame things? Okay, so let, let's start from the beginning. One thing is I am actually acutely aware of the cost of distraction, right? Mm. If somebody doesn't know the research might say, oh, you know, my phone beeps, nothing happens. But the reality is if your phone beeps or your computer beeps, something big happens. You're just not aware how big it is. So there was one study in which they took undergrads and they got them to uh, solve math problems on a computer. And they paid them by how many math problems they were solving, right? So they were highly motivated to solve these math problems as quickly as possible. And they asked them to put their phone on the side and not to touch their phone for the time that they were solving these problems. And unbeknownst to them, from time to time, they would text them and from time to time, they would call them. And what they saw was the incredible reduction in people's ability to solve these problems, not only when the phone was being called or vibrating because of text, but it lasted for a few minutes after that. So when, when we have a notification on our, uh, that something is happening, we think, oh, it's just that notification, but in 10 seconds we're back to it. No, we're not really back to it. So I, I have a, an agenda of fighting notifications. So I, I'm aware of, of the cost of distractions, and I'm trying to minimize it. That, I think, is, is number one. The second thing is this idea of thinking about urgency rather than importance. And, you know, I, I wish I could ask people uh, how, how important is your email and um, could I live without it. But, but that, that aside, understanding that the real issue is urgency and what is the time frame of how to deal with this mm -hmm. and that email creates a tremendous burden. When you have a big to-do list, um, you are burdened by the fact that you have a big to-do list and it just sits there on your mind and weighs on you. And, and I have a big one, and we all have actually uh, big ones, uh, often in the form of email that just sits there and waits for us to respond to it. So I'm doing as much as I can to think about what are those kind of cognitive challenges that we have created for us, uh, how much stress are they creating, and what can we do to fight them? So let me ask you on that urgency topic, Has have you ever been stung by, your, by putting your phone to sleep? Because I think that's the big worry that people have, that they'll miss something urgent. Yeah, um, I have. But, but, you know, this question of, you know, what are you willing to lose uh, for what gain is a question of do you appreciate the gain and the losses, hmm. right? So what happens is I think that we all see the losses, like a missed call. And you say, my goodness, I would have gone to this other building that, that happened to me. I went to uh, the wrong place for a meeting. Um, from time to time, I missed something. Uh, yeah, there is a cost. But the question is, what's the benefit? Hmm. And if you think that the benefit is very small, you say not worth it. But if you realize how big the benefit is of not having it, then you would be willing to take some cost for it. That's such an economist's viewpoint. <laughs> Just think of cost-benefit analysis. <laughs> you have to. You have to, right? So, so here's another principle that we find, is that there are things in life that are more visible, and there are things in life that are less visible. So, you know, email is very visible, and... The real work you want to do is less visible. Uh, think about like something like writing a book, right? Um, you don't have on your calendar every day two hours dedicated to writing a book. It's just something you, you want to do, and slowly you, you work and you work and you work and you work. But, but email comes, and now the question is which one takes priority, the book or email? Email is here, and it shows up. And there's a beautiful term called structured procrastination. 
the feeling that we make progress, even though the only thing we're doing is making to-do lists and crossing them off or, you know, deleting email that nobody should have sent us from the beginning. But it gives us the sense of progress. Whereas writing a book doesn't give you the same feeling of progress because maybe you work the whole day to try and explain some topic and at the end of the day you decide you didn't do a good job and you have to start again tomorrow. It, it like feels like, like we don't get the same sense of progress. We get the sense of progress from all of these emails and to-do lists and things like that, but it's not the real progress. I mean, how many people are going to die happy knowing that they, you know, they got to inbox zero 721 days <laughs> during their lives? It, this is just not the stuff that makes long happiness. But because it is present and immediate and beeps and somebody is waiting, it actually takes precedent over the things that are important to us. We let other people determine our priorities rather than us controlling them. Taking this approach, the behavioral economist approach, means kind of trying to affect other people's behavior you know it, it also means so so i think it, it the first thing it means is it means to understand the real costs and benefits and right. understand that our psychology is is not mechanical and something like a notification or something like a to-do list can can misdirect us and something like a to-do list can switch our priority list and, and so on then the second thing is to try different things right just experiment just try to figure out what works and doesn't work and then in this particular case, it also meant, you know, even though it's arrogant and, um, you know, not a nice thing to do, uh, let's, let's put the cost on the people who are writing me because I can't find another solution. I wish I did. But, but you know, this, this other thing that is happening with this email response is it gives me permission uh, to respond more slowly, right? So, so we have this uh, idea of we expect things very, very quickly, uh, but but the moment you have a notification, all of a sudden you say, hey, you know, it's it's okay not to respond so quickly. And um, we're, we're trying an approach. This is just in design stages. But you know, lots of times you you call somebody and they're driving, or you text somebody and they're driving, and you don't know. And one of the things we're trying to do is for your phone to respond automatically when you're driving. Say, thanks for the call. Dan can answer now. He's driving. Or thanks for the text. Dan can't respond now, he's driving. And that would basically clear the feeling that you have to respond quickly. Plus, it would make it so that if you do respond quickly, people would say, hey, are you driving and texting at the same time? <laughs> yeah, that could make the roads a lot safer if people yeah. really used it. But, but we do have, you know, the, the natural way of discussion is you ask a question and you respond. You don't wait three hours. So, so we have a tendency, a desire to respond quickly. Um, and... And this email buffer kind of gives me permission to say, no, I, I, can, I can focus for the next few hours and, and uh, it will be okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about email. Okay, bye. I want to go back to this idea that Dan brought up about um, structured procrastination. We've talked about this before on the show, and I, I agree that it's a thing and definitely a problem when you do something that's busy work and convince yourself that it's real work. Yeah, and that is my big complaint about Inbox Zero in a way. Oh, yeah, exactly. That was your whole main first problem with it. But I want to push back on this a little bit and say that sometimes email is a part of my job 
Like, I think communication is a part of our jobs and an important part of our jobs. Like we don't, a lot of us, at least in my job and a lot of other people's jobs, we don't just work in these vacuums. Like communicating is a skill. It's part, I don't know. I don't like yeah. this idea that like all email is a waste of time. Right. We dismiss email as this distraction from our work. But for a lot of people, email is our work. It's part of our job. So getting, yeah, as you say, communication is a skill. And I think we often hear of these apps or movements to not have email from people whose jobs are more solitary, like engineers, for example, who aren't known for their communication skills. And I think that it's not the reality for some of us, like me, whose job is super communication based. Yeah. And you don't always have a job where you have like a tangible product, you know, I mean, you do your journalist, so you can say, I wrote this article, that's what I did today, or that's what I did this week. But there are a lot of people whose job descriptions are a little bit more nebulous or they coordinate projects and email is kind of the way that they show their work. Yeah, which I guess is why it does kind of get out of control because it'll it'll be like, I am doing this thing, CC everyone. Yeah, I have <laughs> definitely worked in places where you get a lot of unnecessary updates on projects with bullet points from people that just show you that they know how to format emails. <laughs> well, that's, that's all to say that email's not going away and I love it, and I want you all to, too. I don't love it yet, but I think I can handle it. All right. And now it's time for Half Big Takes. Half Big Takes. Before we get to our own Half Big Takes, we had a listener write in. And remember, you can call in to our hotline at 212-617-0166 and leave your own Half Big Take. So our listener, Emma, wrote in saying... In meetings, women should not take notes, even though I feel more comfortable taking notes because it's the best way I can remember what we discussed. I end up becoming the de facto secretary of the meeting. So now I'm spending more time focusing on remembering the meeting and not taking notes. I have no idea if this is going to work or not, but hey, that's why you call it a half-baked take. <laughs> I liked this because she's so right. She's so right, but also not even the gender thing. When I take notes in meetings, I mean, you should look at my notepad. You've seen it. First of all, it's illegible, but also it's mostly me doodling my name over and over. Like, yeah. what are we, are we really going to look back at those notes? I think notes can be useful. And I'm with her on being a little bit at sea about like, what if I don't, if I don't take notes, how will I know what's going on? But there is, like, I was at a meeting recently with a few men and a few women, and the person who usually takes notes in the meeting wasn't there. And the man leading the meeting was like, well, somebody ought to take notes. And I just sat there frozen and I was hoping none of the women in the room <laughs> yeah. would give in. And eventually one of them did. It just, yeah, there's no, nothing yeah. wrong with taking notes if it works for you. But being the note taker, I don't know. It just feels kind of like a demotion in a meeting sometimes. Maybe it'll make people pay better attention anyway. Let's Maybe know. everyone should take notes. Mm, another half-baked take. Yeah. Uh, save that's it. A, that's save a quarter. It, that, I just made her half-baked take a two-third take. Yeah. Wait. Three-fourths. Sorry, right. I'm not going to math. <laughs> what is your half-baked idea this week, Francesca? Okay, this one might blow your mind, so be prepared. I have the perfect response to a passive-aggressive comment of any kind, and it will just it will stun your passive-aggressive opponent into silence or confusion. It is. Thank you. Do you want to do you want to try an it example. out? Okay, so say something passive aggressive to me. I don't even know. I need it. I don't. I don't. I don't know say, how to be passive aggressive. <laughs> oh, you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, just be like, oh, it's so great that you don't really feel the need to advance too quickly in your job. 
Oh, it's so great that you don't feel the need to advance too quickly in your job. Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> it's pretty good. Aren't you just like disarmed? And Because the thing is, is your instinct is to respond to passive aggressive comments by saying something that shows that you know that they're being passive aggressive and you're going to be kind of snotty, too. And then you say something passive aggressive and then it just goes back and forth. But if you say thank you. It's just not the response they were looking for. And it also, it frees you from having to ever feel affected by what they say because you can just pretend everything's a compliment. Try it. Okay. I'm going to try it. I'll let you know how it goes. I'm, I'm not sold, but I'm not not sold. I just don't know if I understand. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, what's your half-baked take? Mine is that people are putting their grocery store baskets away improperly. Uh oh, I worry I might be doing this. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. So I use a basket when I go to the grocery store. I'm usually not getting that many things, like a carry basket. And so you go to the register to check out. You put your things on the belt, and then you put your basket at the front of the register to stack it up. Mm -hmm. And often people will put it so that the handles crisscross on top of each other, making it impossible for me to stack mine inside mm -hmm. that basket. Yeah, and that's wrong. It's wrong and rude. And really annoying, so then I have to take an extra second to fix the error so I can stack mine in. Right, when they could have just taken a split second to do it on their, before exactly. they put the basket and I, down. I get it, that's one second is, is a little annoying. It really is. It's, it's the feeling I get when I make my bed in the morning. I don't want to do it, this will take one second, and I do it, and then everything's in order. And it's also just this fundamental thing of remembering, like, we're all yeah. living in a society together. Yeah. Let's just not be jerks. Oh, I love that. All right, this has been Half-Baked Takes. Half-Baked Takes. Thanks for listening to another episode of Game Plan. You can find me on Twitter at RZ Greenfield. And I'm at Francesca Today. You can tweet your Half-Baked Takes at us at, at Game Plan. Or you can call into our very cool hotline. It's 212-617-0166. If you like this episode, please rate review us on iTunes and subscribe. And while you're looking at Bloomberg podcasts, why don't you check out Material World, a podcast about all the things that we buy. This week's episode is all about tequila. This show is produced by Liz Smith and Magnus Henriksen. The head of podcast is Alec McCabe, and we will see you next week. Later. Ugh. That's just for another podcast episode. You know how I feel about that. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com.